I'm Mark Carroll, and welcome to episode 111 of Carroll Pop, sponsored by Revolution Brewing. This week, we're exploring the increasingly popular high-end record club, Final Me Please, with its senior director of music and editorial, Andrew Winnestorfer. Final Me Please, or VMP, marked its 10th anniversary this year after being launched from a Chicago apartment. Now based in Denver, it boasts more than 30,000 members, and Winnestorfer says more than 100,000 people are on the active customer list. I've been a member since 2020. VMP is a subscription club where you can sign up for three or six months or a year at a time. You choose among five tracks, Essentials, the broadest category, Classics, which consists of jazz, soul, and blues albums, hip-hop, country, and the newish rock track. The club's slogan is Lost Sounds Found, but that definition has been broadened over the years. Recent records of the month have included not only Ray Barreto's 1968 Latin soul burner, Acid, Herbie Hancock's adventurous 1973 jazz album, Sextant, and Black Nasty's obscure 1973 funk album, Talking to the People, but also Bruce Springsteen's Nebraska, Sly and the Family Stone's There's a Ride Going On, and a mono pressing of Bob Dylan's Blonde on Blonde. Winnestorfer, who is based in the Twin Cities, is responsible for many of these selections, as well as separate exclusive pressings that VMP sells in its store drops. Then there are the 20 VMP box set anthologies so far, including the recently released Miles Davis' The Electric Years and the upcoming Story of Impulse Records and Story of Memphis Rap. Winnestorfer is especially happy about the response to the Miles Davis box, which just sold out, given that several of these titles previously had been released by Mobile Fidelity and there was some skepticism over whether VMP could top existing pressings. He explains why he took this challenge so personally. He also discusses the club's increased emphasis on analog sourcing and mastering, how VMP decides whether to do a mono or stereo pressing of an album, which albums have been and still are on his dream list, how the music licensing works and why sometimes VMP releases versions of albums, such as by John Prine or A Tribe Called Quest, in close proximity to other pressings, whether some labels are easier to deal with than others. Who is fussier, people choosing tomatoes in the supermarket or vinyl buyers? How much FOMO drives VMP's business? What goes into an album's pricing? Whether he would prefer all VMP releases to be on black vinyl? what the demographics are of VMP's customer base, why he prefers VMP's Discord channel over the VMP subreddit, and what the status is of VMP's new Denver pressing plant. Winnestorfer is, first and foremost, a passionate music fan, so we could have gone on and on. Please enjoy this Carol Pop conversation with Andrew Winnestorfer. What is your official title now, and how long have you been there? Yeah, so I have been at Vinyl Me Please for, it'll be eight years in January. Um, I was, I think, the sixth full-time employee. Um, I, my title right now is uh, Senior Editor of Music and Editorial. Right. It's sort of a mouthful. Yeah. <laughs> Does yeah. that mean you're in charge of choosing like all the different tracks now? Yeah, so I have a number of hats that I wear. Uh, but yeah, the, the biggest job is I am in charge of all of our music curation. Um, I have people on the music team and, you know, people at other parts of the company that contribute, but ultimately I'm the one, uh, you know, getting all of our records of the month lined up, 
um, and picked and like, you know, was working on rock, the vinyl me parton and country years in advance. Right. Um, yeah. So like programming all of that, programming our VMP anthology line, I oversee the store curation. And then I also oversee our editorial operation, which includes podcasts, physical zine in the box that we're working on, and then our digital magazine. So it's and then, it's and then you're on Discord all the time. You know, and then I'm with everyone. Yeah, and then I'm on, on like Discord. twenty different channels. Yep. Yeah, I'm just on the Discord. That's what I do to avoid doing all of the work that I listed. Uh, is hang out on Discord. So yeah, but clearly that work's getting done because you guys keep putting out more and more stuff. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. I am, I am able to make it work somehow. How much has, how much has it grown in terms of what you guys produce? Like, like how, like how much you guys put out, you know, compared to, you know, I joined in 2020, you know, but 2020, but then before then as well, like what's the, yeah. I mean, so yeah, I mean the company, you know, this year is our 10th anniversary as a company. Right. Um, and we started in 2014, uh, and it was just two guys in an apartment uh, who basically were like, you know, we think that people need help picking their records. It's sort of daunting to go into a record store like we can make it easy. And back then it was just like the black retail vinyl like anything you know but it was like saying like hey we think this is the one album you need in your collection this month um and that was sort of the the base idea uh i think in the 15th month so it was like 2015 uh they realized like once you hit 500 people it's unit economics work to make a color version of a record. So it was Diarrhea Planet, that record, you know, the one that everybody has from Diarrhea Planet. Uh, that record was the first truly exclusive Vinyl Me Please release. So that was 20, yeah, 2015. And when I started in January of 2016, we had one subscription and we did maybe four or five exclusives in our store a month. And that was it. And this this month, it's six records of the month, one box set. Uh, and I think we're putting out probably 15 store exclusives. So it's it's exploded. It's it's way different uh, than it was when I started. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, that grew out of uh, us sort of realizing like, there's a need for this. Like people want this sort of service that like not only uh, is celebrating physical vinyl. Cause in, you know, especially in 2014 and when I started in 2016, the vinyl thing, like I remember telling people I'm starting at a vinyl company. Everybody was like, what? Like, right. yeah. Like, why aren't you trying to work at Spotify? You know, <laughs> like, why are you going on the, the medium? The, that's, the future that's... is digital music. Nobody right. wants the analog good yeah. quality stuff. Yeah. And I think there was this realization that like, not only do people want this and like are excited about it, but we could do something different um, than I think a lot of the versions of this that have now sort of started in our wake. You know, we still offer, you know, the, the core of the company is like 
every record has a good story is one of our slogans, uh, you know, and then exploring music together. We just think that like music is better when it's like, you know, something you can pull out and physically show people and say like, this is the story of this record and this is why you should care about it. And that has expanded in scope considerably since I started. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And lot lost sounds found, which, yeah. you know, which applies to some of them a lot. And, uh, you know, something like Nat Turner Rebellion, which is a really cool record that just didn't exist before you guys. Um, right. And then, uh, and then you have stuff like, you know, Bruce Springsteen and the Grateful Dead. and Right. Which, yeah, which, you know, is, is Lost Sounds found to a different, it's a different degree of it, right? Because like, you know, I always think of, you know, this year we did the first Sublime record in Essentials. And like, you know, most people know what that is, but like, I had that CD and hadn't thought seriously about Sublime since I was 11 or 12 years old. And this, I have like really loved this year listening to that record because it's, it's refining this thing that I loved in 1996, 1997 that like I have sort of just let go. So it's like, it, it was lost in that way. It was like personally lost to me that like I hadn't, thought right. of that record in a long time yeah no and there and i'm sure there are a lot of younger listeners who n have never heard blonde on blonde right and uh so so you know for the for the older classic rock oriented people you're like oh yeah blonde on blonde but then other people are like oh what you know what the hell is this uh-huh yeah we had a lot of people who didn't know that the cover was sideways right you know, people were like there was a mistake on my jacket it's sideways and you're like no yeah that's how it's been since 1966 so so yeah. it, was, it was funny i was i was interviewing peter frampton a few weeks ago and i was talking about the cover of frampton comes alive and how you open it up and he's standing there with his guitar and the, you know the top is sort of the iconic you know he's backlit with his blonde hair he looks like the guitar god with his les paul but you but you sort of open it up and it's just him standing on stage and he was like he was like yeah and it was vertical like we were the first ones i'm like blonde on blonde He's like, Blonde on Blonde isn't like that. And I went and pulled out my VMP and I'm like, no, look at that. He was like, <laughs> he actually, we actually got, we got to the end of the interview. And then he was so, he, he wanted me to go find the record just to show him. So I went and found the record. And I'm like, no, here it is. So he's, yeah, that's great. Peter Frampton has seen the B VMP uh, Blonde on Blonde, not oh, this great. oriented differently from the original either. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's really great. Has the sourcing changed over the years? I mean, in terms of, you know, like, like early on, did you do more sort of digital stuff and then you kind of, you know, double down on trying to get the AAA and all that? Yeah. And that's, I think a thing that sets final me please apart big time too, you know, especially now is we have a commitment to quality that like, you know, the label major labels are not doing <laughs> what we do a lot of the time now. Like uh, in our early days, we could not convince labels to let us pull tapes out to get the tapes remastered to, you know, do the, the all analog treatment because in, especially in 2016, 17, 18, the labels were really like, it doesn't matter. People just want this on vinyl. And I think, you know, people have gotten more discerning by and large. And so, yeah, definitely now it's like, uh, we, have, and we have no trouble convincing anybody really, like if the tapes exist, they let us do it. Um, and so, yeah, like we, you know, uh, you know, what's a good example recently? I mean, we just did uh, Ray Barreto's Acid is the Essentials release for October. And that one, um, we, you know, talked with Concord and said, like, we noticed there's a mono release of this. 
do you guys have those tapes anywhere? And their archivists went and looked and was like, we do have mono tapes. Like they were surprised, kind of came out in an era where stereo was more prevalent than mono, but they still were making some mono recordings. So they, you know, sent the tapes over to our friend at uh, Sterling Sound, Ryan Smith, who I think you said has been on, right. on this podcast, right? Yeah. Um, so Ryan, you know, took those and yeah, do AAA and you know, we, a thing that's been huge for us, at least in the last, you know, four ish years, is we are really obsessive about the small details. It's, you know, we buy multiple reference copies from the 70s to like, you know, found anything that's old, like buy the reference copies, get the best audio, and try to make the definitive version of every album that we put out. Um, which, you know, sometimes we definitely nail and sometimes we maybe don't, but that's the, that's the goal is right. we're, we're not trying to just, uh, you know, cash grab doing, you know, color variants. It's, it is trying to make the definitive version of everything that we touch. Had you done like an AB comparison of the mono and the stereo of acid and thought, no, the mono is just a better mix. Uh, no, I mean, on that one, it was our, uh, so we have a production team, our production guy, Steven, who's like, we call Eagle Eyes internally. Cause he's like our guy for figuring out these small detail things. Um, he noticed on discogs that the mono tapes were probably going to be fresher because they had not been repressed. So if they existed, um, cause that's something, you know, that's a concern with, you know, something like blonde on blonde has been reissued and remastered a million times over the years for different versions with this Ray Barreto record. It was like the only reissue was done with stereo tapes. Uh, and so it was like, if their mono tapes exist, those have probably not been touched since the original lacquers were cut in 1968. And that seemed to be the case when Ryan cracked the, the case open to look at the tapes. It's like, these look incredibly fresh and like brand new. So to your ears, do you think, oh, this just sounds way more awesome than it would have if we'd gotten, you know, more worn down stereotypes? Yeah, I mean, it's it's the uh, it's the push for the best possible version. So, like, yeah, I, you know, I, I do not have an original stereo to compare right. it to, but I know that that record smokes like it sounds yeah, really good. Yeah. Well, it's on its way to my house. I haven't. Okay, gotten it cool. Yet, so I'm looking forward. Yeah. I, I did not. I certainly did not swap out of that one. Yeah. So cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I had Ryan on. I had Kevin Gray on twice. One of them just sort of talking about mono versus stereo, okay, uh, cool. which I thought was interesting. And uh, Bernie Grunman. And like of everyone I've had on, and I've had on like a lot of pretty high profile artists, but three of the top five most downloaded are those three. It's mastering engineers. And there's such an appetite for that information and insight into, you know, the tapes and so, you know, when you buy stuff like on Record Store Day now, it'll say, you know, the Chris Bellman, you know, or the Kevin mm -hmm. Gray or, you know, Kevin Gray's on all the stuff now, um, mm -hmm. Bernie Grunman. And it's interesting that those guys have become celebrities in their own right. Does that make it, do you guys have to like pay more for them? Because it's like, hey, you know what? I'm really in demand now. Uh, I mean, it's... I don't know that we have to pay any more. Like we have, we do a lot of work with Ryan. Um, so like, right. he does all the classics. Yeah. I mean, he does most of our essentials. Basically, if it's tape, it's going to Ryan. 
for us. Like he does anthologies, he does store exclusives. Um, he does anything we ask him to really. So I, you know, I don't know the miles box, right. Miles box. I mean, he's doing a tribe called quest reissue. Like, you know, yeah, he'll do whatever we ask him to. I think, uh, those guys are becoming celebrities for good reason, because, you know, today, if you want to hear, you know, the Miles Davis records, you can go on your phone. If you want to hear it as good as it can be, like these details start to matter to you, right? Like, so if you find out that you like what Ryan Smith is doing on Tribe Called Quest records, it stands to reason, you know, he would be good at Miles Davis records. Right. And like, yeah. And so like those, those guys are sort of celebrities because they're, making these records sound better and different than what you can hear in your phone, you know? Yeah. How does the licensing on this stuff work? Like, like obviously MoFi put out mobile fidelity for, Mm -hmm. uh, put out, you know, these, these Miles Davis records already. And they, and I think they repressed them pretty recently because all of a sudden they all started showing up in the stores again. Mm -hmm. And then you have the Miles Davis anthology box, uh, electric miles that just came out that people are raving about. Um, but like, what's the, what's the agreement? Like, does MoFi get the same, are you getting the same type tapes that MoFi did and they get to press a certain number and then you get to press a certain number or is there an amount of time that has to pass between the two or does it not really matter? And someone else is going to come out with the, the Bernie Grunman version in like six months. Uh, I mean, so yeah, that's, that's a lot of questions packed in there. Um, I think, you know, we, uh, we try to leave space if we see that there is, you know, like a, you know, a reissue of, I'm trying to think of like a, a project, nothing is jumping to my mind, but there have definitely been projects where we have found out that there is another reissue coming and we're like, it's not worth doing this for us. Um, because generally speaking, the licensing, the record labels want as many people to make them as possible to make more money. Right. Uh, do they what, tell you, Hey, you know, just, just so you know, craft is doing this one too, or whoever's also yes, doing this. One. They do. Generally speaking, uh, the labels we like working with definitely do. <laughs> um, but, uh, I mean, in the case of miles Davis, it's like, you know, we, we don't own the miles Davis records, but we can own our metal work. So that's where it's like, you know, the metal work will not be used anywhere else. It's only going to be for this final me please box. That's what's unique to us. MoFi, their versions are unique to them. The thing that sets this Miles Davis box apart, especially is that, you know, some of these Miles Davis albums are in the DSD controversy around MoFi, you know, where they said that some of them were AAA and they were not. Ours are AAA. They are 100%. Like we got tape transfers because Sony does not want uh, any of their tapes to be damaged. So they get a one to one tape transfer at their facility and then we get that tape transfer. So there is no digital step in there. Um, and yeah, I mean, the the licensing works like this. This box came together uh pretty quickly because we're close with the miles davis estate we've done a number of miles davis projects right 
um we did sorcerer, sorcerer way back yeah. when yeah yeah sorcerer and essentials um and then we also just the live one did, with coltrane yeah and then we just did uh star people um right you know from 80s miles in classics last year and it was really born out of that was um you know we had been talking with vince wilburn jr you know who played in miles's band in the early 80s and it's his nephew um and it was just like a random idea from somebody on our team, Clay Condor, who actually designed the box, uh, hit up me and Marcus Moore, who was working at VMP at the time. and was like, Hey, like, I just saw that we're, we got star people going and we're talking with Vince. What about doing a box of just electric miles? And Marcus had been texting Vince about the star people reissue texted Vince and said, is there any interest? And he was like, hell yeah, what do you need? Let's do it. And so it like, it really came from the estate wanting us to do this in the way like, and doing it as a cohesive story. Cause I think that's again, what sets us apart is like, you can get some of these albums from MoFi or other reissue labels, but you're, you're don't have any of the context that I think our box gives you is, you know, explaining this period of miles, why this is important, all of the branches of music that were born out of these seven albums, like you putting them together makes it this like monolithic achievement and like thing you have to reckon with, as opposed to just popping into the record store to get the, the cheap version of big fun, you know, like, right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a narrative. And, right. and and you feel like, okay, now I got this story and this is like something I'm going to put in my shelf and pull out when I'm sort of want to, you know, live that era of miles. Right. Yeah. And the attention to detail part on this miles thing was like, this one was terrifying for all of us. Cause it's like, it's miles, right? This is, right. If, if you sell this one to anybody, the person who you sell it to is going to be somebody who notices if the center labels don't have the right credits if the the audio the bass is too high on in a silent way like the these are the record buying populace that will notice this stuff and so this one uh we knew we could not mess up <laughs> it was right. like no we i mean like i mean do this well. yeah i mean as as people pointed out i mean you know mofi has bitches brew they're coming out with a one step of it i'm not sure if they're doing one steps of the other ones um the dsd thing definitely kind of clouded the the issue for them um mm -hmm. but were you were you like doing sort of you know compare a b comparisons with mofi as as you guys were making this to be like yeah this is better uh, I don't know if we were direct directly doing it that way, but all of us that were working on this project had these records in various forms. You know, I had some of the like music on vinyl releases of like, you know, big fun, get up with it, like, and felt like we could do something special here. Right. Um, and so that was when the test pressings came in, you know, our Steven, our production guy lives in Denver. And I know that him and clay, when test pressings would come in, were like, you know, would lock in and sit in a room together quietly to listen to this. And we were like, they were, you know, sending me messages and they're like, I think we we've got something here. Like we're, we're doing it. So, Yeah. Yeah, you took this challenge personally. I saw on Discogs the other day you wrote, 
I've been pleased. You're talking about anthologies. Yeah. I've been pleased with all of them in their own way, but this one feels like a triumph of a different sort. We really fucking did it. We made the best versions of Seven Miles albums. People can say whatever they want about me personally now. We fucking did it. I'm not saying we're the best at what we do, but it's us versus whoever wants to lose. I read every sniveling comment elsewhere. I read the Instagram comments. I read the doubt, the hate, the skepticism, and now I want apologies and mea culpas. Yes. Boom. Yeah. I, I, yeah, this one, there's a certain amount of, uh, you know, it's the vinyl community. There's a lot of comments about everything that we do. And I knew as far back in March when we put this up, cause that's when the test pressings were landing that we were doing something special. So this, this one really does feel like a, you know, world heavyweight title win or something, you know, like and you, you read just a few too many. Why are you doing this? There's so many. Yes. There. Yes. Yeah. A lot of that of like, well, MoFi already did this or, you know, uh, I can get this. I can make this by myself on Discogs for, you know, $30 less than what I'd have to pay for vinyl me, please. Ignoring that, like you're going to you're, you're entering the Discogs maw maw and could end up with, you know, copies with banged up jackets that the person did not grade properly you know like oh yeah yeah oh in the know. vinyl too you just never know like someone's right. plus is like someone else's g yeah so. well and you know and especially when this these records were coming out you know miles never got stuck in the dynaflex hell that you know country vinyl did in that era but like this is still fuel crisis vinyl for a lot of these these original miles davis re releases you know especially bitches brew they were pressing so many of them and pvc was not easy to come by during the oil crisis like right there are a lot of ogs that sound terrible of of bitches brew so you know being able to do this like we did it just yeah it uh yeah i'm feeling cocky about it man it's just like <laughs> it's, it's hard not to i mean we did it like it's uh it, it's one thing to like have this as an idea and be working on it for, you know, multiple months and like hoping beyond hope that it's good. And this is like, this is beyond what I like. I, I have been blown away by by this. And I kn have known every part of this package for a year at this point. And I'm still blown away by it. Yeah. Is there something else you have in the work networks now that you feel similarly about that you just can't unveil yet? Uh, Yeah. I mean, there's... uh. Yeah, there's definitely a box that I'm hoping we still don't have final yes for next year, but uh, there is a box that I I think will be really special if we can do even half of what we want to do with it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm, the other thing is, is like I'm doing so much all the time with these. It's like. I don't often do the victory lap thing. Cause it's like, I, you know, I'm working on booking records for July of next year. It's October. And so like some of the things that are actually going to be landing in November and December, it's like, I haven't thought about them in six months at this point. So this, yeah, miles especially feels like a victory lap, like one worth taking the victory lap for. Yeah. When, when you're booking these records out, how much of it is, you going to the labels and say, look, we'd really love to do this. And how much of it is labels now approaching you and saying, hey, we've got like this, 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 and this is possibilities. Are you interested? Yeah, it's uh it's a mix for sure. Um, you know, like a good uh 
a good recent example of like what that situation was, you know, Chilino Sanchez, we did the first US release of any of his music on vinyl. And that one was born out of the label about 18 ish months ago, or even two years ago, they, you know, Concord got the rights to Muse Art. Like they bought Muse Art Records, which is where all of Chilino's music is. And they came to us and were just like, we bought this catalog. Let us know if you got any ideas. And that one was so like it was me digging and thinking like and actually being familiar with Chilino Sanchez prior to this. I mean, like, oh, my God, Chilino is in this and then trying to decide which record to do. Um, You know, so situations like that come up, you know, where it's like, hey, this, you know, this record is turning 50 next year. The label isn't planning any vinyl. Are you interested? That's actually Nebraska. Bruce Springsteen turned 40. And the label was like, we're not doing anything for the 40th anniversary. Are you interested? Uh, That happens. But then it's I would say it's like a 70, 30 or 75, 25 of us. Just like it's me emailing our reps at various labels being like, hey, what about this Billy Joe Shaver record? Uh, you know, you guys haven't reissued cool. it in years. Yeah. The, you know, let me let me see this. And then they go, yeah, OK, let's take a look. Um, yeah, it's, it's kind of like a random thing. And, you know, it's uh, it's really based on my gut crossed with you know people at the company anybody at the company can pitch records of the month you know our recent death cab for cutie came from one of our production people there's a lot of uh, records of the month coming in the next like six months that are just random people at the company were like hey what about this record um and then it's you know trying to give our membership what they want uh you know we know that they want bone thugs and harmony it hasn't come out on vinyl in its real form ever like let's give it to people yeah yeah in general um comparing people who buy vinyl and people who go to the supermarket to buy tomatoes which are fussier you think huh i mean it's it's probably record people i mean yeah i think so too yeah and it it's i totally get it i totally understand like you know you're this is uh, you're only getting these records because you're obsessed with them, right? Like you're not, most people are not buying just like $2 bargain bin records just to like take a flyer on stuff these days. You know, it's like you're committing to these records, but I'm somebody who is completely unfussy. Like I expect the record to sort of sound wooly sometimes. Like I, it doesn't, you know, I own, I own a, almost a hundred Willie Nelson records and most of them sound like shit and it does <laughs> not, bo- it does not bother me, you know, like it's more about owning the record that I like to me than it being flawless, but I totally get wanting it to be flawless. Yeah. I'm someone who will buy, you know, records that are marked down that are sealed because there's like a tiny little split seam. And I'm like, you know, that's going to sound just fine. Um, But then I see like Reddit has become sort of the home of people showing a little crinkled corner and going, Uh Oh my God, send it back. Uh And and it's like, there's like a lot of that. And I was like, man, it's like, I really appreciate the commitment, but I also feel like, you know, it's just going, you know, it's, it's, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. I'm always like, I don't understand where you're like putting these that they're, are they like rare jewels to you? Like, are they going in a safe? You know, it's like almost like it's like a, a Fabergé egg or something that like, it can't have a scuff on it, you know? <laughs> like, yeah, I, I am definitely not somebody who cares about that, but yeah. 
you guys shifting from Reddit to Discord, uh, it seems like it was a pretty big strategic move. Like, what, what's the advantage of where you are now and what was just getting tiresome about Reddit? Definitely. Yeah, I mean... I mean, and it actually, our community efforts sort of started on, we had a com- like a company-owned forum, um, and it operated pretty similarly to Reddit. Um, and I think the Discord situation was really pushed for by our head of customer care, Paul Bass. He's on our Discord, too. It's me and him are like the the main staff members who are hanging out in there all day. Paulium. Um, yeah, Paulium. Uh, Pauly... I think he actually like it took a year for him to convince everybody that we should do a discord as our like, cause we sort of gave some stuff to Reddit and that was kind of the extent of our community building for a while during COVID. Um, and I think like the discord format makes it like a much harder to dogpile. Like it's not, you know, Reddit becomes this thing where like somebody is like, I hate this thing. And then everybody who wants, you know, the attention and the look at me thing is able to pile into the thread and be like, I also hate this thing. And like, look at me, I can say something meaner. And like, they're all going for the points and that kind of thing. And Discord it's just a conversation. It's like what what the promise of Reddit or a forum was originally feels like it's happening on Discord. And it allows us to, uh, you know, have that more like one-on-one. It's so hard to like talk to people on Reddit, like to actually like, no, this is what you need to know about this thing. Uh, like, you know, us popping in there to explain, you know, this is what's, this is why this record is delayed or like, this is what is happening. Feels so much easier on a discord context than to, you know, basically line up in the firing squad. <laughs> that right. is, that is Reddit. Yeah. Our, our tribe called quest love movement is different from the three LP black final on get on. Yes. Them. And explaining why that is, is much easier on discord and on Reddit. I think, you know, there are people from our discord trying to explain to people like, look, it's an exclusive cut. It like, you know, all of these things. And people were like, no, it's not, you know, <laughs> on Reddit. And it's like, how can you, you know, on discord, it basically was like, I might not agree with the price, but like it is unique. Like that's not debatable. And on Reddit, it is debatable somehow. Like they can, you can find a way to argue on Reddit about everything. But then the other advantage of Discord too is like the live Q and A function. You know, like we do these quarterly Q and As where we take literally any question anybody has and answer it. You know, sometimes it takes us two and a half hours uh, to answer questions. You know, we're doing a we do Q and A's for the anthologies now. Um, there's a, like a little bit more options than just trying to like wrangle our crazy subreddit at this point. Yeah, I mean, what's something I liked on the Reddit, and then I you know like over on Discord is uh, the just people getting their albums and then saying, Oh, this sounds really good. Uh-huh. Or this sounds this, or this sounds, you know, very bass heavy or whatever they say, but just someone like receiving the music and then responding to the music. Uh-huh. And, you know, like there are a lot of, I mean, not that I'm just like here to bitch about 
read it, but it, there's just a lot of like showing off and it's just a picture of the record. And there was like one that had been sort of like the OG versus the original of, I think the talk, to- the new one of toxicity, the system for of a down album. And it was like a day's worth of comments and nobody commented on what it sounded like. And I'm like, you know, I'm uh-huh. here for what it sounds like. I'd love to hear how the pressing is because mine right. hasn't arrived yet. And, uh-huh. uh, and then someone did, but I feel like that sort of, when you get that going and you get it going on discord, like, like everyone saying, Oh my God, the miles box sounds amazing. It definitely, definitely feeds that FOMO, uh, mm-hmm. like, oh, I have to go get this, which is cer- certainly to your purposes, because that's what you want. You want you know, right. people reading about enthusiasm about the pressings and thinking, I got to get that before it goes away. How much do you think FOMO kind of drives business now? It just sounds- Yeah, I mean, it's the it's the razor's edge of, of everything, right? I mean, we're uh, we're not a record label, so like we can't we can't keep stuff in press uh, in perpetuity, like we don't, we don't have a, the inventory space or B the budget to just like keep everything in stock at all times. And I think that ultimately, I mean, for me, that's what was exciting about record collecting when I started in 2005, when nobody was carrying records and I had to like, look for them is like, it's the finding the thing that you're looking for. And I feel like FOMO is almost like the only way to replicate that, that feeling of like being in the record store and you're like, I have the one copy of talking heads remain in light that I have ever seen, you know, like at this in 2005, it was hard to find that in a record store. And like that feeling, like I will always remember is like, I found it. I found this, like this talking heads record, uh, FOMO, that like that feeling I think only gets replicated through like limited edition, um, you know, of like, I've got the one thing. Um, it's definitely, and it's definitely a thing that we're, we try to walk some fine line between like, we don't want it to be frustrating that you can't get what you want, but we also can't, like I said, cannot keep everything in stock forever. So You know, yeah. and you and you say what the numbers are, unless yeah. it's sort of a, you know, there's some that don't have a number on it, but even there, there's usually some limit. Yeah, I mean, records of the month, we never publicize how many copies of each record of the month, but they're all limited. Like we're not, you know, there's an uh, the, there's an opportunity that some of them get repressed down the line, um, because record of the months are a little bit easier for us to keep doing because they, you know, they are a bigger order and it's like easier unit economics wise to like keep, you know, we're doing a repress of Chilino Sanchez. We sold out of the original run. Uh, we were like, okay, there's t- the wait list exploded as soon as it's sold out. Like we, we clearly have a lot of demand for this. We can do Chilino, you know, right. but, but is the sublime record going to get repressed? Probably not. Is the Stevie Ray Vaughan from earlier this year going to get repressed? Probably not um it's sort of you know you, you got to get it when it's active can you give a ballpark of like how many get pressed in each track uh, i can tell you the what we always will say is like which essentials is our biggest right uh uh and it is fairly bigger than 
rock is our second biggest already it's only a couple months old uh and then rock classics and hip-hop are pretty close to the same amount every month there's fluctuations in between those three kind of based on the record um and then dolly parton and country dolly parton has been a slightly more popular than country writ large Hmm. for us in the last couple months um the dolly sub has been wildly more popular than we expected so um we knew it was going to be good we didn't know it was going to be this good can you Um, jump in and out of that one or do you have to have signed up for that at the beginning um you can jump in and out but it's unlimited like we have three month terms i believe like it's not month to month and you can't swap out or swap in yeah exactly yeah i I knew that the rules on that one were different yeah Um, how many members are in violently please right now so we have something like 35,000 ish subscribers, uh, our active customer list. Cause you don't have to be a subscriber necessarily to buy from us. It's, you know, it's, it's over a hundred thousand at this point. So, um, but yeah, it, we have very, very, the numbers are much, much bigger than they were <laughs> when I started here for sure. So 35,000 that are receiving at least one record in the month. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or swapping uh, for credit, I guess. Yeah. But got it um are there are there certain labels that are easier to deal with than others sure yeah i mean we have really great relationships with concord um and craft you know they're they love us i'm i have a they they do stacks so yeah i mean i have a stacks and a volt tattoo they like know me there as the guy with the stacks and volt tattoos like they yeah they love me over there, um, especially because I'm just like, hey, David Porter, this random David Porter record, you're never going to reissue. Can I please do it? And they're like, yes, we love you. Um, so Concord, we have a really great relationship with Sony. Um, you know, in November, uh, Warner Warner's umbrella group really have a good relationship with November. All of our records of the month are from Atlantic Records. Right. Um, and you know, that's Atlantic, like all of the labels under Warner generally, we have a really great relationship with, um, yeah, you know, it's, there are definitely some that are harder to deal with and ultimately it's less a label problem than an artist problem at this point. Like most people know who vinyl me please are, if you're working in vinyl at any of these labels, like in physical it's, you know, does this artist want their record to be record of the month? you know, or will they give anybody approval to make it on vinyl? It's kind of more of an issue than a label issue. Are there some artists who you've been sort of chipping away at, like you're trying to get them in there and they just keep saying no, but you're still working on it? Yeah. I mean, the white whale is Frank Ocean's channel orange. I think everybody on earth knows that like, that's the, you know, they're not, that's been a big change since I started working here. There were certain white whales when I started, it's, you know, gorillas, demon days was a big one. Queens of the stone age songs of the deaf was a big one. Fiona Apple's title and when the pawn were a big one. And we were like, you know, we were, and cam really our current CEO was in my seat um, for a couple of years. He was the, the Ahab throwing spears at, at whales. Like he was, you know, racking them up for us. And, you know, there's not that many white whales left at this point, pretty much everybody knows like my stuff should be on vinyl. You know, it's, it's Frank ocean channel. Orange is a big one. Kendrick Lamar section 80, is a huge one uh beyonce four has never been on vinyl that's a big one um but yeah i mean and all of those artists we have pitched various times various ways 
and still not not shaking anything loose. But. Yeah, there are a lot of bands that are big on vinyl, but their stuff tends to come out a lot. Like, like it, w- it would be hard to get an exclusive Pink Floyd just because there's been so much. Yeah, yeah and that's that's you know that is a thing too. Is like yeah, some of those you know, and Led Zeppelin is one that will never let anybody touch their catalog because Jimmy Page is too too meticulous and is like, I know exactly what I want these vinyl special editions to be, and so like rhino just does what jimmy page tells him to do um that was like a funny meeting when i was like talking with the uh the president of rhino i said like hey would you know we're doing a rock subscription would they let us do physical graffiti and he just just laughed at me and i was like yeah okay all right um yeah you know and some of those some of those really big bands like we were surprised that bob and bruce springsteen were both like super interested in letting us do those records last year like and both columbia artists i don't know if that was a yeah Yeah, i mean it was with sony yeah so sony is a parent company yeah our rep there was like i can try and then was like they both said yes so um yeah and i mean in the case of bruce it was really like would you guys want to pitch this we're not doing anything in the case of Bob. It was like us just like cold being like, Hey, we want to do a Bob Dylan album in essentials. Can we do blonde on blonde? And then like three months later, it was like, yes, you can, you know, Bob's cool with it. Yeah. Do you have people constantly bombarding you with record of the month suggestions. Oh, all the time. Yeah. That goes with the gig, but it's, you know, it's, uh, it's people online, you know, I, I mean, I do like, that's part of the reason I'm in the discord to be honest too. It's like, I want to know what people want. Cause like, I know what I want to put out and what I like, but like, I, you know, there's been some stuff, especially in the last couple months where it's like, huh, like I wouldn't have thought of this in this subscription. Um, but yeah, I get, I get it from, from everybody. I get it from labels, you know, and it's really funny. We get, we get some submissions sometimes where it's like this person just like heard about vinyl me please and thought like, this would be a cool thing for me to pitch without like actually looking into what we're doing. We get like some really weird where you're like, yeah, I don't think an EP in our essentials record of the month. I don't think so. Right. You know? like, yeah. 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 Or they'll say, Hey, you should do De La Soul three feet from high and rising. That would be a good one. Uh uh-huh. Something like, that you've done, something yeah, that you've done uh, that is not in print. And yeah. Yeah. And that, I mean, that happens probably more often now being that, I mean, it's hard for people to, you know, Discogs is about it. Uh, in terms of like being able to see our entire catalog. But yeah, we do get, I get that more often than not where people are like, you know, why haven't you guys done Outcast in Essentials? And it's yeah, like, yeah, you have, you you have, did. Yeah. yeah. Carol Pop is supported by Revolution Brewing, Illinois' largest independent brewery. Revolution's beers are brewed only in Chicago using pure Lake Michigan water. These include the best-selling Antihero IPA and the collectible cans covering football, hockey, basketball, and baseball, the new superhero sparkling hop water, and the PB Eugene, a robust porter enlivened by sweet, creamy peanut butter. Go to RevBrew.com and at RevBrewChicago on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. My music orientation, like what I see, just since you didn't ask, uh, what I see is sort of the gap um, 
in in my taste is that sort of like mid 70s to early 80s kind of punk new wave sure. like those rock records like that's sort of like the you know the costello talking heads clash buzzcocks <laughs> devo squeeze xdc specials madness english beat blondie patty smith television feelies rem like that sort of era is what i see less of and i see more of sort of your the millennial you know early 2000s uh-huh rock and and i don't know how much of that is just taste or how much of it is that what you're feeling as the market is of the people who are belong to vmp uh it's a little bit of all of those things and i mean of those artists you just listed there are multiple of them that i'm talking with (laughs) so uh that is definitely like and i think there's this weird there's this like era of vinyl where you get into like late 70s that area you're talking about like late 70s to early 80s was like the peak of the original vinyl and so like for us some of sometimes it feels hard to try to top you know the versions of the talking heads that exist because they came out a lot and there were, you know, UK pressings that you can get for 12 bucks on Discogs that sound incredible because they were pressed all over the world. They were these huge records because it was at the peak of vinyl. And so like, but I think we're getting more confidence to just go ahead and do those. Right. Yeah. Um, and Rhino, I mean, Rhino's re-released a lot of them, although I don't know that they're AAA, but uh, but they certainly they've had the colored vinyl editions on almost all of them at this point. Because I think they're doing the the, the later ones now. And they've yeah. done, you know, Fear of Music and, you know, Remain in Light and all those. Yeah. Before. And uh, David Byrne is somebody I, I mean, I said earlier that a Talking Heads record is like what I think about when I think about like major record store finds for me. We have been talking talking to him for years at this point of like every six months, just being like, we're still interested. Like we want to do one of your records and essentials, let us know. And he's still considering. So, um, but yeah, no, like, yeah, there is, I think that's ultimately uh, an era where I'm like, I think it's an era you're right. Like it's an era that is ready to be rediscovered, especially I think for people that are, you know, in their twenties, maybe have not gone back beyond like horses for Patty Smith. Yeah, yeah. You know, like there, there are a lot of really good Patty Smith records there. You know, how, how does the pricing work for VMP? Like what goes into, you know, saying what the, what the member price and the regular price is? Yeah. I mean, that is, uh, you know, we have set prices on the record of the months. So like, that's pretty, that's decided for me. <laughs> like, I don't have to ever right. think about that, you know, for, for store exclusives, it's kind of, uh, there are certain projects where it's like, we know that our members are going to buy most of these. So we can put a higher non-member price because you, you know, we're trying to get members. That's ultimately what we want. Um, so we yeah it, there's not exactly an exact science and that's a thing that we're trying to figure out internally <laughs> it's like we are we are hiring a e-commerce manager um because this is sort of like ad hoc by committee at this point but we want more members so a lot of the time the mem- non-member pricing is based on like just sign up like get a record right. from us every month and you can get this for $15 cheaper than if you weren't yeah it's the same as Costco in a way you know? Yeah. So, so, so something like today you guys put on Nielsen Schmilson and Son of yep. Schmilson, both excellent records, I will add. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's for members, it's 41 
a piece and then bundled its 80 for the two of them. Mm-hmm. Is that is that something where you guys look at it and say, you know what, I think that we can get $40 a piece for these? Or is it also part of the licensing agreement and the cost of doing it where it just prices out that this, this one's just going to be a little bit more than your typical single record? Yeah, it's more the latter. I mean, because we're, I mean, on those especially, we're recreating the original poster in uh, Son of Schmielsen. Uh, oh, so the poster is part more, of that. I was yeah, about that. Yeah. Um, you know, and we're sending them both to Ryan Smith, which does cost more than just doing the the DMM digital cheapo cheap out remastering. We're putting them in tip on jackets, which cost more than regular jackets. Like, yeah, a lot of the pricing is driven by us. I mean, to our detriment, sometimes trying to make the def- <laughs> the definitive version, right? Like we could probably sell more of them if we sold them for 30 each, but that would require cutting a lot of corners on our side. And we, you know, don't want to do that. I mean, there's been a lot of inflation in vinyl buying in general. I mean, certainly since I joined in 2020, is that is that a function of just everything is just more expensive for you guys on the production end? Yep, 100%. I mean, everything costs more. Fuel costs more. Shipping from Europe costs more. Uh, you know, yeah, it's the plastic costs more. Remastering costs a little bit more. Tape transfers cost more. Like, it's everything costs more and when it's everything is going up by you know five ten fifteen cents it you know ultimately ends up on the consumer unfortunately yeah how much how much of a factor is it also that there's so much more demand for vinyl that the presses are more backed up and so you know maybe you're sending more to europe to go to gz because you there aren't as many domestic options because you know the other ones are just backed up so much well, and we have capacity at GZ, so that drives a lot of that decision. Like we pay for capacity. Um, like we we don't do these projects on a one-off basis a lot of the time, capacity-wise. It's like we have set capacity at at GZ. Um, and actually, I mean, what we have seen over the last six months is people have more capacity than they have projects at this point like the the bullwhip thing has happened that's one of our supply chain guy dan has taught me about the bullwhip effect uh has sort of happened at least in capacity where there are more presses uh being made at every pressing plant and so like the timelines have actually gotten a lot shorter Oh, um, that's good to know. Over yeah, over the last six months, especially, I mean, even on GZ on the GZ front, it's quicker to get them from Europe than it was a year ago. It's quicker to get projects from RTI than it was a year ago. It's quicker everywhere. There was a lot of you know, sort of your Reddit and maybe on Discord too, but just just sort of dubiousness about GZ quality control for a while. I think there were a couple pressings that that sort of had to get redone, like. Um, I mean, the uh, last one we had widespread issues with was Mars Volta. That's the one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that was the one we had all the crackling on it. Yeah. Do you, do you? So have you guys sort of instituted, you know, quality control, you know, things with them, or do they just get it? Like, really, it's sort of the whole problem was overstated, or did you actually have to take steps to make sure that, you know, this Miles box came out flawless, even coming out of GZ? Yeah, I mean, I think they're they're uh, their problems have been wildly overstated, and I think. A lot of the reputation of GZ is based on 2016 GZ, 2014 GZ, when they were like the last one standing and like they were just, you know, pushing through DMM 
cheap digital reissues and like cranking them out. Right. Um, I think for us, like, you know, we, we spend the money on our versions of stuff going through GZ to get new metal work, which matters. Like some of the GZ problems that some other pressings have is they are just going the cheap route and we don't anywhere along the audio chain. Um, and so, I mean, ultimately the thing that we identified, you know, in the case of Mars Volta, and then it was, um, there was like, it was that, and I think ATLians within like the same, like three months, there was like some crackling issues and it was based on the color vinyl we were picking, uh, just like had a higher percentage of failure rate, um, based on the color. And so we don't pick that color anymore. (laughs) That's been a huge change. It's like, uh, cause we're doing so many copies of some of these records. It's like the percentage of failure rate is X on this color. If we do this many of them, the odds of it are going up, or at least the amount of copies that could be affected are going up. Thus, there being the big, you know, kerfuffles on Reddit, Discord. Yeah. Is is the aim to have a certain high percentage of your stuff pressed at the VMP plant when it opens? Definitely. Yeah. Which should, you know, knock on wood, uh, knock on, you know, whatever other <laughs> idiom uh, should be opening in December. Um I think it'll be a little while, I think, before we do a record of the month project um, through there, just because we're, you know, going to let Gary Salstrom, who is our, you know, plant guru, sort of get his sea legs. We don't want to, you know, have him launch out of the gate and be like, hey, you know, we need X amount of copies of this essentials record by this date. Or, we're, you know, like with it, the pressure of it being a record of the month, we don't want to put on Gary too soon. So um, I think at first it'll be, I think, you know, there's some anthologies that'll be coming out of there, um, some sort of one-off store exclusive projects, maybe some represses of previous records of the month but i mean eventually i think classics for sure will end up there um and then because that's black vinyl you know keep it classic do 180 gram you know i think i think it'll probably be a situation where some essentials records are there some rock records are there um but we you know we have a really great relationship with gz with furnace with rti the intention is not to like never press anywhere else again it's sort of like using vmp plant to uh, control our own destiny a little bit. You know, during COVID, we are a record of the month company. And if we don't have a record of the month, we are fucked. So like right. we need we need to control more of the physical, the physical part of our business is ultimately, you know, why I think that that started becoming a priority for us. I can't remember if it was Ryan or or Kevin, but one of them had mentioned that it's it's sort of better if the lacquer isn't traveling too far for too long before it gets pressed so having to go to denver instead of czechoslovakia probably will be you know some advantage yes for sure yeah yeah that's the hope i mean and we're i think hoping long term to try to entice ryan to come move to denver but i don't know yeah we talked about it as sort of like a spitball thing of like hey ryan come live you know come work out of the vmp plant you know but wow that'd be cool that'd be interesting yeah. We love that guy. Yeah. Just, just there being so many different versions of, of records like, like John Prine, uh, you guys are doing and it, it mm-hmm. was, it was a Warner brothers that did them. Yeah. Um, yeah. and, uh, you know, the Schmilson ones came out recently for, for MoFi raw power. There was a version of that as well. Is that, 
is that a concern of yours or not really? Cause you're just going to do your version of it. Yeah. I mean, it's a concern to a degree. I think it's, I mean, I think the consumer ultimately is also, I think consumers are sick of the like Pokemon got to catch them all color variant thing, you know, where like the Olivia Rodrigo, there are 16 color variants or whatever. I think people are like, you know, I've had enough of this shit. Like I don't need, you know, there does not need to be a Costco and a Walmart and a Target and a right. Bath and Beyond variant or whatever, you know, like, yeah, people are sick of that. I think the uh, it's for us, it's the remastering is different. So like it matters to a degree. We don't want to be, you know, one of six different versions of this record that are like currently available in the marketplace. But again, you know, in the case of Miles Davis, it's like, we think we can do it better. Um, so yeah, it's not, it, it definitely comes up and it's like part of the calculation when we're looking at it, is it worth doing, you know, this record for this subscription, but it's not, it's not necessarily a deterrent. Yeah. Like like when you guys did the the John Prine debut, did you know that they were going to put out a Kevin Gray John Prine debut like right? For that one, no. Yeah. Um that like we we knew that they I think we knew vaguely that there was a John Prine reissue campaign afoot. Uh we did not know that like you know, I think ours came out and then like 2 months later that that uh, the Kevin Gray came out. Um, but then ultimately to do, you know, sweet revenge, which we're doing, it's like, we're doing an Atlantic month and I was looking at their country roster and it was like, how can I do anybody but John Prine for, sure. for Atlantic country? So it's like that I'm like it, it, the, the, like, whether or not the record is in the marketplace doesn't get in the way of a good story for us ultimately because like you can't you can't really tell the story of atlantic records country division without it being centered on john prine i agree yeah I, and you know so for colored vinyl i pull out you know a lot of them look really cool and a lot of them sound just fine sound great um if you had your druthers would you just do everything on black vinyl or do you like having colored vinyl versions of things uh i like I think I don't necessarily care about the color, but I like it when it's done well. Like I, you know, if we could do black, my job would be a lot easier because I'm not having to convince people like this color works for your record. But, uh, you know, the case of like our Lupe fiasco record that's coming for that Atlantic month, like that one I took out of the sleeve and was like, holy shit, like this is really cool. The color is like really different. We're doing like a new effect. So I can still get wowed by the colors for sure. Um, but I think it's, yeah, like I like the, the team that we have, they think really long and really hard about like what color works for these, each package. And I like being surprised by that. Do you have a sense of the sort of demographic, like the age range and male femaleness of all of it? Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a uh, majority male like no surprise to anybody who has bought right. a record in the last hundred years. Um, but it's, I would say when I started, the age range was older than it is. Like, we're definitely trending younger than we have been. I think our average demographic is probably like a guy in his late 20s, early 30s. When I started, it was probably late 30s, early 40s. Um, it is definitely trended. We're trending younger. And that's like, you know, I think our hip hop subscription especially is like that one. If you took the demographics of that would be a lot younger than the mean. Yeah. 
Yeah, and the hip hop seems really popular. Like when you sort of go on any of these again channels, chat channels, there's a lot about the hip hop, and I've I've picked up a few of them just. And I was never that into hip hop. And I'll say something about VMP is that it definitely has expanded my taste, and that cool. I, I've been I've been like, oh, you know what? Everyone's everyone's into uh, you know this record. I'm you know this, the Notorious B.I.G. record. I just like I just wasn't into hip hop. Like, oh, hey, that Ready to Die. That sounds pretty cool. The you know the Grave Diggers record. I got the the Coop. The cool. uh-huh. that's, that's a, good a really one. cool record yeah. uh uh-huh. you know there's a bunch of them so you know play a little more hip-hop around the house than i did certainly play more jazz when i started off because i was kind of toggling between like i had a essentials but i'd kind of you know sometimes get the classic or the essentials uh-huh. and at some point i'm just like i just added classics and but for a while i'd sort of skip the jazz i'm like i'm more into soul you know the stacks sure. kind of stuff and then i started going back i'm like oh this 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 jazz thing's pretty cool this one's pretty cool and i kind of went back and picked up like all the ones i'd skipped originally so yeah you know, cool got my got my you know bird flies high and all that so yeah Hawk yeah and high. i think our 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 jazz selections is really like it's not, I don't want to say it's like jazz for beginners, but we're not, we're not throwing you into the, like, into the raging wave pool of jazz. Like we're not going to give you the most difficult Coleman Hawkins record, <laughs> you know, like, uh, it's really important to me that like we get a good swath of jazz, but not like, I don't want it to be inscrutable and difficult. Uh, and like, you know, except for when it's like McCoy Tyner or John Coltrane's Sunship. But, yeah, Sunship yeah. was a bit challenging, but I got that yeah. one anyway because it's interesting. Yeah. And, and I thought, all right, I'm going to train my ears to get this one. Yeah. And I mean, that was the first Coltrane record I ever listened to as like a 13 year old. And I thought that was what Coltrane was. Like, I <laughs> like that's why we, I ended up, I was like, nobody is doing a high end reissue of sunship. It's sort of forgotten. Like, let's do this. But yeah, when I was like 12 and trying to get in, like I, you know, read a book and it was like Miles Davis and John Coltrane, Miles Davis, bitches brew and John Coltrane's sunship were on CD at the Oshkosh public library. And that's what I thought jazz sounded like (laughs) as a kid. So, uh, yeah. I it took me a long time to realize that like Love Supreme existed. Great talking to you. I really appreciate it. Yeah, you too, Mark. I've, yeah. I've gotten a lot of uh pleasure out of your musical choices. Uh cool. thanks, you know, man. So it's kind of overwhelmed parts of my life even. All right. Yeah. Thank nice. you for having me. This has been really fun. That's all for episode 111 of Carol Pop. Thanks so much to Andrew Winstorfer for giving us an insider's perspective on the Vinyl Me Please Record Club and offering so many insights on how the modern vinyl business operates. Follow him on Instagram at the Storfer. That's T-H-E-S-T-O-R-F-E-R. And you can follow at Vinyl Me Please on Instagram and Twitter, too. To learn more about Vinyl Me Please, go to VinylMePlease.com. VMP also is on Discord, and there's a subreddit page operated mostly by members. Carol Pop is produced by Chris Swake, who's always number one in my club. I'm Mark Caro. Please follow Carol Pop on Twitter and Instagram at Carol Popcast. And you can follow me as well at Mark Caro, at M-A-R-K-C-A-R-O. Also, please visit carolpop.com where you can support this podcast by becoming an official Carol Pop friend. We're dedicated to keeping Carol Pop free and sustainable, and we appreciate your help. Please share this episode, subscribe, tell your friends, and tune in again next week for another Kiropop Conversation. Thanks.